All in. How many have been enjoying the series? Amen. I have the privilege tonight, and I do count it a privilege, to minister on the topic of worship. To worship like you mean it. How many appreciate the worship that we have here? Yes. You know, our, our platform, they work hard. They practice four or five hours every Saturday. And, and, and they are committed to having an excellent worship service. Uh, they're committed to uh, leading us in worship. Uh, but you know what also makes this worship service so dynamic? It's every single one of you worshiping God. Coming in here with the heart of worship, coming in here with the heart of praise and, and, and uh, allowing the Spirit of God to move and to minister and to breathe in this place. How I many know that uh, because of worship, uh, it's a powerful tool in the life of a believer? You know, in worship, uh, it brings us into the presence of God. Uh, there's freedom and there's victory in worship. There's healing and deliverance that takes place in worship. There's a peace and a joy that we receive in worship. There's a strengthening of our faith and our confidence in God. And ultimately, there's uh, that drawing closer to God that takes place in our life during the worship service. 26 years ago, my very first time I walked into New Harvest Church, uh, I, I, I didn't know anybody. My brother and I walked in together. He had this green mohawk, right? And uh, we sat uh, in the east wing, okay? Sanctuary was that way. Some of you have been here a while. You know what I'm talking about, right? And I remember the worship started. And, you know, it was in that time where we sang all those songs. And it was like one long song. I'm alive, alive, alive forevermore. I'm like a tree. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. Remember all those, right? And I remember listening and just uh, uh, worshiping God, I, it, it was an amazing experience for me because it was so alive. I remember Pastor Sergio preached, and I really couldn't tell you what he preached about. Pastor, if you're watching, I know it was good, but uh, I just remembered there was just an awesome presence of God in the sanctuary. And, and I remember at the end of the service, I looked at my brother and I said, we found a home. We found a home, and, and, and what, what God was doing is he was ministering in the worship service. In the worship service, I was experiencing a healing. I was experiencing a deliverance. I was experiencing a powerful move of God that was something taking place in my life because I didn't get saved in church. I got saved outside in the streets, and, and I, needed, I needed to be where God was at. And God's presence was established because of the worship and the importance of worship. And Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that's what was taking place uh, during that worship service. And how many know that when we come to church, we come to experience God, Right? We come to experience a real God uh, that can meet us right where we're at. Uh, we don't want those religious games. And, and, and the walk, Christianity, our walk in faith is much more than thou shalt do's and thou shalt not do's. It's having an experience and a relationship 
with the Lord of Lords, with Jesus, our Heavenly Father. In the book of First Chronicles, my text, chapter 16, verses 1 and 3, and then jump down to verse 23 and 29. David, he's bringing in the ark of God, and the ark of God represented the presence of God. It, it might have been a physical box, but where the ark of God was, the presence of God was there. It says, and he set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then they, burnt, then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Jump down to verse 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations and his wonders among all the peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. If we can pray this evening. Father, we love you. We thank you. You're so wonderful and you're so gracious to us, Father. Father, tonight we want to just give you worship and praise and thanksgiving for all that you've done, Father God. And I ask and pray that our hearts would be open, God, to receive, yes, but also, God, to give. To give to you what is due to you, Lord, our praise and our worship, God. I pray that the presence of God would be in this place, Lord, for where your spirit is, there is liberty, your word says. And I ask and pray for salvations tonight, Father God, that you would move upon the hearts, my God, of your people whom you wish to touch tonight, Father. I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, and we all say, amen. David, he was a worshiper. As flawed as he might have been, as Many times of his, as he might have sinned or failed, there was something about David that uh, was undeniable is that he recognized the value of worship. He recognized the necessity to worship God in his life. David, he had an intimacy with God. He knew God, and God knew him. If you think about that, to be known by God, right? Sometimes we think we're anonymous, Sometimes we think nobody knows who we are or what we're going through or the things we've experienced. But can I tell you, you're not anonymous, that God knows you. He knows you. The Bible says even before you were in your mother's womb, he, he knew you. Even before you were even there, he knew you, and he had a call and a plan and a destiny for your life. He, you're not anonymous. I, I remember prior to Jesus, I was about 17, 18 years old. I remember we went to this beach and um, how many know that uh, what my grandmother used to say, nothing good happens at 12 a.m., right? And I just remember we were there. We, were, we weren't really in our right heads and our minds. And I just, I mean, you know, that at 18, you think you're so deep, right? 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds become these real rich philosophers about life and everything. And I remember looking up at the stars. It was a clear night that night. We could see so many stars. And I remember just thinking... Uh, it was one of them devil thoughts, okay, that if there's a God in heaven, 
there's no way he knows you. There's no way he knows anything about me. There's no way he knows what's going on in my life. With all the galaxies and, every, and all the wonders in the heavens, how can God know about what's going on in my life and in my situation? I say that was a lie from the devil, man. That was a lie from the pit of hell because God knew exactly who I was. God knew exactly what I needed, and God knew exactly what he was going to do in my life, the same that he knew in your life, the same that he had a call and a plan and destiny for your life. David, he knew God as Lord and as Savior, as healer, as king, and as friend. Book of 1 Samuel, the Lord has, uh, chapter 13, verse 14, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. The book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. Think about that for a second. Uh, we give testimony about how good God is. We give testimony about what God has done in our lives. We give testimony about the power of Jesus. And right there we just read that God gave testimony of his servant David. He said, this is my servant. He's got a man, he's got a heart after me. He's a man after my own heart. Uh, man, that God testifies about his children when we worship him, when we praise him, when we love him. God says, those are my children right there worshiping me, praising me, giving me honor and glory. David was a man after God's own heart because he was hungry for God. He sought after God. He had a passion for spiritual things, and he tried to please God despite his failures. His actions proved that he was a God chaser. See, David, when it came to worship, he was unashamed. He was unashamed to worship God. He was, uh, as the sermon series is titled, he was all in. When it came to worship, he was all in. All in, what does that mean? It means without reservation or hesitation. And when it comes to worship, we need to be all in. We need to be all in with everything that's within us uh, and not holding back, not being reserved, and not being hesitant to give God his glory. Sometimes people, they might hold back for all sorts of reasons. It could be fear, right? It could be fear of what people might say or think. It could be an embarrassment. It could be a shyness. It could be a reservation. It's just a natural inclination to be reserved. But can I tell you something in love? All those reasons, it's pride. It's pride that's keeping you from surrendering to God that's keeping you from allowing yourself to worship God the way God would want to be worshiped. There's something that is fighting you and tugging at you that won't allow you to release. Book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6, verses 14 and 22. Reading out of the New Living Translation here. It says, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. And so David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, 
or Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord, and they set it in place, and Inside the special tent, David had prepared for it, and David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And when he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. And then he gave to every Israelite, man, women in the crowd, a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins. And then all the people returned to their homes. Verse 20, when David returned to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And she said in disgust, how distinguishing the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, and so I celebrate before the Lord. And yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. See, David understood worship, right? David understood the value of worshiping God. But there was something that was taking place in his wife's life that she couldn't see that. There was a resistance that had taken place that when she saw somebody worshiping God, rather than be joyful for that, she was filled with disgust and contempt. David didn't have the issue. His wife had the issue. And sometimes we can see people, and they're worshiping God, and they're loving God, and we're thinking, how dare they? I know what they do. I know what they're about. Who, look at them playing the part. Again, in love, take your eyes off of them and put them on God during the worship. Because you might be right. They might be having issues. They might be going through some struggles, but they're in the house of God worshiping. They're in the house of God at least trying to get that breakthrough, and that's what we need to be doing is focusing on God and not what other people are doing and how they're worshiping God. Worship is an intimate and it's a personal thing. We do it corporately, yes. But it is a personal act that we do. David understood the importance of worship. What is worship? One of the Webster's Dictionary editions said, Worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. To honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Worship is our heart's expression of love and submission to God. Bob Coffin, a, a Christian writer, he said this. He said, to worship God is to humble everything about ourselves and to exalt everything about him. What worship does is it realigns our perspectives, right? It's easy to magnify our trials, our tribulations. It's easy to magnify our needs and our struggles and the things we might be going through. But when we're in the presence of God and when we are in worship, 
all those things, they take a back seat. It's not to say that you, don't, you aren't going through things. It's not to say you don't have needs and struggles. Each and every one of us do. But guess what? We'll always have some kind of need. There always will be some kind of struggle. Struggle. There will always be some kind of assault because this is a fight that we're in until we get to heaven. But when we come into the presence of God and are able to worship and are able to magnify God, it puts it into perspective that God is greater. God is greater than any struggle we might face. Right? My kids learned it in Veggie Tales. God is greater than the boogeyman. Right? Praise God. That just came to my mind. We worship God because he is God. Period. You know what that period means? Period. It means end of sentence. It means there are no buts or ifs or ands. We worship God because he is God. When we pray, it's us petitioning God. We're asking God to intervene on our behalf or, or someone else's behalf. We're asking to find the heart and the mind of God. Uh, when we study, we're seeking guidance of the, of the Holy Scriptures. We're asking for direction or revelation. We're asking God to guide us and direct us. Uh, when we fast, we're sacrificing. We're dying to our flesh. Uh, we're, we're, we're dying to ourselves in order to see the hand of God move in our lives. But when we worship, when we worship, it's not about us asking from God. It's now us giving to God. It's about us and everything that is within us, uh, our mind, body, and soul, all concentrating on loving God, on honoring God, on giving him his due, his praise and glory. Book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about us. It's about him. Man. Worship is God-directed. It's, it's, it's biblical worship is directed to God. It's God-focused. We worship God because he's worth it and we're focusing on him and not on our issues or our, our problems. It's God-centered. It's not man-centered. We are not the center of worship. God is. And I know there's times where, you know, we might, uh, uh, we're blessed when we worship. Don't get me wrong, man. We receive, I believe, just as much as we're trying to give. And, and oftentimes, uh, I think um, we, we can lose sight that it's not about us when we're worshiping, though, man. We like the songs that make us feel good, man. We like the songs when God reminds us of how much he loves us, and he loves us. But how about the songs where we're just telling God how much we love him, how much we love you, God, and how much we worship you, God. And, and that's what worship is, is saying, man, I'm just giving it right to you, God. Luke chapter 4, verse 8. We worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Psalms 29.2, it says, give unto the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. God deserves our worship. He has the right to our worship. He has the priority of our praise. The book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall, have, you shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth below or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. A jealous God. We need to understand that God's jealousy is not a sinful envy that is uh, born out of pride. It's, it's a holy righteousness. It's a holy and righteous jealousy that cannot allow the glory due to him to be given to another. It's not that God is jealous or envious because someone has something he wants or needs. God owns it all, right? It's, it's this, is that God is jealous when someone gives to another something that rightly belongs to him. Let me give you some examples. Parents, we know how hard we work for our kids, right? We know the sacrifices that we make for them. We know the, um, the, the, just the, the desire to bless our children. We know what it takes to, you know, put shoes on their feet and clothes on their back and a roof over their head. And our kids come to us and they say, can you help me with this or that? And we figure out a way to bless them. We figure out a way to make sure that they don't go without, right? Now imagine your child, after all of that sacrifice, after everything that it's cost you, imagine your little bundle of joy goes across the street to the neighbor and tells the neighbor, I just want to say thank you for everything that you do for me. Right? It's like, no, the neighbor did not do any of that for you. It was you as a parent that did that, right? Married couples. You see someone flirting with your spouse. And you know and understand that nobody has the right to flirt with your spouse except you. Why? Because you are your spouse's and your spouse is yours. You belong to each other and only you two have that right. We belong to God. We are God's. We are his children. The Bible says that he bought us with the price, and that was the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross. We are not our own. Uh, we belong to God. We are the servants of the Most High. We are his, ki his children. And if we are his children and all that he's done for us, uh, then it's he that deserves the honor. It's he that deserves the glory. It's he that deserves the praise. It's he that deserves everything that we have. Uh, it is his. Not anyone else's or not anything else's. Book of Galatians 4 8 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Jonah 2 8. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. They get rid of their own mercy. They neglect that mercy that God has. God was reminding his people that he is the Lord their God, and it was him that brought them out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. And we need to remember that. We need to not forget what God has brought us out of. Whether we've been saved a year, two years, five days, uh, we need to always constantly be remembering it was God that delivered us. It was God that saved us. It was God that renewed us. Revelations 4.11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. Worship just doesn't happen in church. 
It just doesn't happen when we meet on Wednesday or twice on Sunday mornings. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship should be happening in the morning when you wake up thanking God that you got through the night. The worship should be occurring during the day. And worship should be occurring at night when you're going to sleep and saying, thank you, Jesus, you got me through the day. Worship is a lifestyle that needs to be constant in our thoughts, in our minds, the way we live, the way we uh, uh, conduct ourselves. Uh, God, I want to worship you by the way I work. I want to worship you by the way I speak to my family. I want to worship you by everything that I do. I want to give you the honor and the glory. It's a lifestyle that needs to be present in every individual that calls themselves a child of God. And sometimes... Your greatest moments of worship, your deepest connections with God, it won't happen in the prayer service, in a corporate prayer service or in a corporate worship. It'll happen in your secret place. It'll happen when it's just you and him and no one else, man. I mean, there's times where, you know, when there's nobody at my house, man, and I can cry and let all the tears flow, or I can yell and scream and dance and shout unto God, but it's in that quiet, it's in that secret place where that deepest connection can be made with God, man. Where we can feel that satisfaction in that, oh, man, just when God fills us, man. I, I can't even explain it sometimes, right? Let me tell you this, though. We need that in our lives. Let me tell you why. It's because the world is deceptive. The world will deceive you. The world will say, you need more than just that. The world will say, here, why don't you try this or that and the other. And the deception of the world is that the more you indulge in the world, the greater your appetite becomes. It's never satisfied. It's never fulfilled. It's never complete. It leaves you wanting more and more, and it leaves you empty. It's not until we have that encounter with Jesus that we can experience full satisfaction and full fulfillment, man. You know who had an encounter with Jesus? The woman at the well. The woman at the well, in the book of John, chapter 4, verses 5 through 26, um, Jesus is on a journey. He comes to this well, and he's tired, and he's hungry, and he's thirsty, and he sends the disciples on into town to go get some food right? What was he doing? He was, he was getting rid of his disciples because he had an appointment. Because he understood that this woman was going to be there at that well, and he wanted to do something in her life. And each and every one of us, man, we have that appointment with God, man, where God just wants to meet us right there where we're at. Whether you're unsaved, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's an appointment that, 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 that he wants to have with you where he introduces himself and has an encounter with you or you have an encounter with him. And here was this woman uh, going about her daily routine, and she comes up to that well. And verse 7, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? He's saying, will you bless me? Will you give me something? And the woman, the Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews are not associated with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift and who it is to ask you for a drink, 
you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than the, our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's breaking it down. He's saying, you've been searching in everything and anything, and it's left you wanting more and more and more. You're never satisfied, but I'm right here and right in front of you. And if you come and drink from me, you'll find out that you'll never thirst again for the world or its desires or its, or its deceptions. Women, the woman uh, said to him, sir, give me this water so that I, would get, that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. This is, as they say, he's getting down to the nitty-gritty, right? How many of you know that when we have an encounter with Jesus, he doesn't leave us the same way he finds us? He brought the issue that this woman was, was wrestling with. He brought the sin to the forefront and said, we got to deal with this right here, right now. And what takes place, man, is that she's forced to acknowledge where she's at. And that's okay to acknowledge where we're at. It's okay to acknowledge when we stumble, when we fall. It's okay to say, God, I'm struggling right now, but I need you to help me press through this. I need you to help me keep going and keep going. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, is that you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet, and our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I love her response. It was kind of one of those like, okay, enough about me. Let's change the subject. Let's talk about worship, right? And here Jesus, he goes from sharing the good news of, of his salvation to now giving her a lesson in worship. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship the spirit, worship in spirit and in truth. Man, here it is, man. Jesus is telling her the secret to worship. It's not about whether you're worshiping here or there, but are you worshiping in spirit and in the truth of his word, man, right? Eugene Peterson, he's the one that wrote the Message Bible. He says, worship does not satisfy our hunger for God. It increases our appetite. C.S. Lewis said this, it is the pleasing of God that is at the heart of worship. It is the pleasing of God that is at the heart of worship. And at the end of the day, that's what we want to do is please God. So, to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, right? To have God pleased 
with us through worship, through our love, through our service. There is freedom in worship. There is freedom in worship. If I can have the worship team come up. God is spirit. And worshiping God is a spiritual thing. We might physically lift our hands. We might physically sing. We might physically kneel or bow down. We might physically go through the act of worship. But let me tell you this, and make no mistake, that worship is 100% spiritual. Worship is a spiritual thing. It's in, in, in worship where we're tapping in to a supernatural God, a God that is greater than anything we can ever face, a God that is holy, a God that is righteous, a God that is awesome. And when we're in the presence of God, we're in the presence of greatness. And when we're worshiping God, we're, we're, it's when heaven scrapes the pavement, as they say. It's when God comes down and fills us with his presence. When we're in worship, it's when our miracles happen. It's when we can see the hand of God move where our chains literally fall. It's where the spirit uh, begins to come in and move and bring freedom. What the Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. I'm telling you, man, throughout your storm or your trial or your pain, when you worship God, man, you're tapping into something greater than yourself and greater than anything that you that this world has to offer, man. Tell you what, ask someone that you know that God has done a miracle in their life and ask them how their worship is. You will not be, uh, uh, um, you will not be surprised that when they would say that they have awesome worship experiences with God. You talk to someone who God has healed from a disease or God has done a miracle in their marriage or God has done a miracle in their kids and ask them about their worship and you're going to hear, man, I am a worshiper of God because they understand that in their time of need, God saw them through it. Exodus 23, 25. We worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. And I will take away sickness from among you. You need a, a miracle? You need a healing? Worship. You need God to break a stronghold? You need God to break an addiction? You worship. You worship. I love the story of the leper that came to Jesus. The Bible says that he came to Jesus and he bowed down and he worshiped him. He worshiped him. And Jesus says, what is it that I can do for you? What do you need? He says, I want to be healed. Jesus, is, Jesus heals him. This individual, this leper, worshiped before he received his healing. He worshiped before he received his blessing. And I really believe that there's some of us in here, man, we're waiting for God to do something. And God's saying, worship me. Love me. Tell me that I'm your king. You need to hear yourself say it. We can have our heads bowed and our eyes closed.